0: is Will with another episode of Projections. So I have a few things I want to talk about this week that, in the way I want to talk about them, I think are related and are going to kind of, you know, develop a sort of thought I have that I think is important to share. So these are two stories involving major publications, The Washington Post and New York Magazine, which opened up contentious, but I think significant online discourses that are wrestling with kind of existential questions about what is the left and if we use that term how are we imagining it in relation to what's not the left so this is going to be some discursive commentary i guess but my aim is not to beat any dead horses or you know just kind of repeat what i have seen online, but I, I want to kind of offer some, uh, I guess, meta observations or reflections on what I think is making people so anxious and kind of honor those feelings um, and suggest ultimately that what is making folks who identify strongly with the left and in both of these stories are kind of oscillating on well who do we support what is you know who's on our side who's not on our side um you know that that makes people very anxious but i think that it also points to an an open-endedness and an ambiguity as to what what is the left's power that in this moment of estimating the power to be very low and feeling hopelessness and despair about that uh, I I want to leave us on a more open-ended note that doesn't foreclose alternative readings of the left's capacity in this moment um, because I, I think that and this is something I've teased out on previous episodes and kind of hinted at I think that this conversation about what is the left's capacity how much power has the left built this sort of framing of power as a turf war between already identified ideological signs uh, that's that actually is is an accounting construction right like it's a it's a heuristic that we kind of make up and we don't have a, an alternative to making up accounting constructions but we need to be reflexive about the fact that whoever's in these these groups is going to be harboring multiple narratives uh that correspond with different worldviews at once that can be appealed to differently and so i'm going to suggest that externalizing liberalism or the washington post or quote-unquote liberal institutions i guess as dead on arrival for the left and Mm. The institutions that we've identified as the left, treating them as some kind of fraternal brotherhood that can never do any wrong and needs to, in a way that transcends morality, uh, you know, we need to close ranks around them to protect, you know, this or that person. I mean, it, it reminds me of of a certain notion of unionism that I would associate with police unions. Um, as opposed to, I think, wider notions of unionism that recognize, you know, not just accountability to ourselves as one collective, but accountability to ourselves as part of a society, right, which which is multiple relations of accountability. Um, and that's difficult because that's a balancing act. And in, in uh, indeterminate responsibility or charge that has to be wrestled with and kind of mediated. And I think that that's what's going on with these stories. And yeah, what's making everybody so anxious. And I guess I ultimately, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think that I had something kind of positive to contribute <laughs> to to this kind of wrestling with with these questions um so i'm gonna try to get to that so okay the first story is this saga at the washington post last week where first national reporter named david weigel was suspended without pay for a month when his colleague another national reporter named alicia Sanmez, uh called attention to him retweeting a sexist joke about women being either bisexual or bipolar. Um, And then a few days later, so he gets suspended without pay, and then a few days later, she gets fired. But in between David's suspension and Alicia being just fired completely, there was a knee-jerk impulse to reduce the entire thing to uh, workers versus bosses. Where the role of the left is to make sure that any form of institutional accountability on somebody who is on the labor side of the capital labor distinction. Um, and it should be said, right? Like in this context, this is including a national reporter at the Washington Post. And the calls for accountability came from another coworker first. Um, but also from the Me Too movement and feminism more broadly. And likewise, the subsequent firing of uh, Felicia Sanmez is charged with the stakes of the backlash to the Me Too movement and feminism. And this is happening, you know, right on the heels of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case, right? So then when Felicia Sanmez is fired, it's unclear who the left, quote unquote, you know, whatever we mean by that, is supposed to side with. And so you had some people trying to say, well, the real enemy is the bosses. Um, So Weigel and Sanmez shouldn't, you know, call for unity between them. Right. Uh, And this doesn't address at all the, the social meaning and the social importance of a Washington Post reporter. Uh, retweeting ironic sexism, right? At a time when Fox News and a, a huge, broad conservative propaganda machine is radicalizing p- people in a right-wing direction, uh, it it matters whether whether liberal institutions, you know, however cynical we may presume their leadership to be, it matters whether or not they're forced to uh, push back against that by public pressure. And I think that they should. Um, The media, in some sense, belongs to all of us. And unions, in some sense, belong to all of us as well, right? That's why police unions act more like fraternities or mafias than responsible social institutions that are that are variously responsible to different stakeholders in the society right if if the starting point is the union or the left as sovereign and autonomous and therefore only accountable to itself then the impulse is going to be to treat any other relations of dependence or accountability as threats that need to be stamped out and you need to close ranks around you know david weigel or whoever right and so the second story that i wanted to talk about is grappling with similar ambiguities uh as to where social solidarity and accountability and responsibility start and stop uh, because at times they seem to be, as the last example showed, right? Like they seem to be multiple and not reducible to a single us-them boundary, right? Like it's, it's contextual. Um, and so this next uh, story was there was an article in New York Magazine by Sam Adler-Bell uh, of the podcast Know Your Enemy um, that was titled Unlearning the Language of Wokeness. And the piece is written in a voice that is sort of from the left to the left. So Sam is identifying with wokeness in his heart, but the reality is that most people simply aren't there. And so the left needs to make rhetorical compromises and uh, trade-offs in order to meet people in the common language of everyday folk. Um, And this made a lot of people angry um, and part because it externalizes Black Lives Matter, which is where wokeness comes from, from this image of everyday people um, as, as if the language of Black Lives Matter was invented by academics um, rather than by a you know legitimate social movement that is you know all across society you know certainly including academics right because like part of the problem here is treating academics, as if they're outside of society and maybe this is a topic for another episode but like i think this assumption that everyday people are not theoretical or thinking or doing all these things it's like what's popular with everyday people is like a lot of like esoterica and conspiracy theories and you know um all, all of this stuff that is like not the exclusive purview of academia um by any means academia is just kind of um, one variety of this. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, this, this plays into the rights kind of silent majority narrative and it's attacks on critical race theory, LGBT educators, you know, all of the people who get hit when people in academia or in journalism and the, you know, the so-called pmc woke overeducated you know all, all of these all of these things that are to the extent that they have negative connotations right that's not because there's anything inherently bad and sorted about you know having a college degree like it's it's because of years and years of propaganda from Fox News and right-wing campaigns and all all of this stuff that, that basically does the same thing, right? But I also want to say that this narrative functions to provide a certain short-term and counterproductive comfort that's similar to the reduction of the Washington Post story to to Dave Weigel being a representative of the working class against capital. Uh, I, I think it's comforting to think that ordinary people just hate wokeness because of reasons. Um, so we 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 remove that from the equation and just take it as a given. Um, and then the task of the left is to meet them where they're at. Through triangulation and trying to be relatable on those terms. But I don't think that this encapsulates what the big picture is because, in the same way that Fox News is infrastructure, New York Magazine is infrastructure too. And what that means is that we're responsible for contesting what appears in all of these publications. And I mean, I think that Fox News should just be shut down, obviously. Um, But, you know, liberal institutions are infrastructures that we need to contest in their resonance as infrastructure, not just in their resonance as a workplace where, you know, whatever Sam writes needs to be protected from, you know, editorial backlash or or whatever motivated by you know twitter mobs or cancel culture or whatever like my point isn't to to cancel sam adler bell um you know i i think that his intentions are good and know your enemy is very worth listening to but it matters obviously what's in new york magazine as well and so as people who are online we do have a responsibility to stop or disrupt right-wing narratives about wokeness that are then circularly used to justify themselves by, you know, indoctrinating all these people against Black Lives Matter, and then you say that Black Lives Matter is too divisive and you need to meet people where they're at. Um, And so what does that mean then for the left, right? Kind of circling back. um, Because I think that this anxiety comes from the charge of responsibility and solidarity being an ambiguous and messy thing that we're kind of trying to figure out by balancing all of these different meanings and and stakeholders, you know, what often gets reductively described as interests, but that can get messy and complicated because as these examples show, um there can be multiple things going on at once, and, you know, conflicts are socially embedded and have multiple social meanings. And that's, on the one hand, that's kind of scary, right? Because it makes the task at hand a lot less clear, right? And less reducible to the left is a fraternity and we have our institutions that need to be protected from, you know, their institutions, the liberal institutions, right? Um, which are, which are the institutions of the bosses and the employers. No, this is a much messier picture where, you know, the liberal institutions and the employers are simultaneously being pressured by us on social media too, right? Um, And so we can't help but contest uh, language and terms and social narratives as we use them, right? Like, it's not like we just find anti-wokeness out in the wild and, you know, then we have to interact with it on those terms. No, these these are already mediated in multiple ways, you know, multiple media ecologies, you know, whatever you want to call them, that are themselves caught up in the drama that's happening, among other places, on Twitter, right? Um, And on the one hand, this is scary because reductively antagonistic politics have a certain clarity to them, right? But in a context where the left's analysis of power is we have none so we have to triangulate i think that this is actually an empowering realization um in the sense that we're we're always already in the game right and so institutions are never just captured in the sense where their essence is that they're you know the institutions of the bosses right they're variously being contested and fought over and you know they're they're up for grabs in ways that have cascading effects on other institutions you know you look at the democratic party and you see that there are like four or five democrats in leadership positions who hold the entire party hostage to the nonsensical conventional wisdom that they're getting from the washington post and the new york times right um and so so these things like it matters that these things are contested um and that we don't naturalize some kind of boundary between the institutions of the left or the institutions of the working class and the institutions of the establishment, right, and see that we're we're actually already contesting these meanings, and that's good and healthy and important. So, okay, um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you're able to support us, uh, you can do so at Patreon.com/slash/molsuperstructure. And otherwise, I'll see you next week. Tell me